Welcome to the Literacy Bug Podcast. In this episode, we will explore how to plan and monitor for effective teaching and learning. The audio of this presentation is taken from a video presentation of the same name, and you can find this video presentation on the Literacy Bugs YouTube channel. So we encourage you to go onto YouTube and find Literacy Bug there. Now please note, when listening to this audio, there'll be reference to visuals from that video presentation. However, the presentation in this podcast should make sense on its own. And anything that doesn't make sense, you can clarify by visiting the audio, visiting the video, and also downloading the slides. And the URL to download the slides can be found either on the Literacy Bug website or in the description of this podcast as well as the description of the YouTube video. So without further ado, I'll lead you into the audio presentation itself. Welcome to the Literacy Bugs presentation on how to plan and monitor effective teaching and learning. Now feel free to download the slides to follow along or to review afterwards. They're available on the Literacy Bug at the URL that you see in front of you. Now, as far as recommended readings, if you can get a hand of this chapter called What the Research Says About Intentional Instruction, in the book, What Research Has to Say About Reading Instruction, I think you should. It's a great chapter. It focuses upon setting goals, modeling learning, and modeling how to think through and process language and literacy um, across the stages of development. Now, the objectives of this presentation is to encourage a new, informed, intentional, evidence-based teaching which takes into consideration the learner's current skills, knowledge, and intentions, and to emphasize the importance of gradual, progressive, sequenced practice that allows learners to become proficient, confident, and knowledgeable. It's also focusing on how to reinforce instruction that includes both intensive elements and extensive activities. And to reinforce why it is always important to reflect regularly on teaching and learning activities and to be able to gauge a student's progress and adapt teaching accordingly. So the parts of this presentation are as follows. We're going to cover some key principles. Then we're going to focus on how to provide the right instruction or support for a particular learner. Focus on planning routines and considering the stages of literacy and language development. And then revisit those key principles in the context of reflective practice. Now one note before we begin, this presentation will not explore what to teach or how to teach in detail. These topics will be explored in other presentations. This presentation in particular focuses on general planning and monitoring and reflection principles. Okay, so if we look at this mantra, 
it's a diagram that you have in front of us, is that there's 10 steps that I look at with when we consider the steps to planning, teaching, and monitoring learning. Now, one, we start with the student. We want to develop a strong student profile that captures what a student is motivated by, captures what they can achieve, it captures what they're currently developing, and also reflects upon what's beyond reach, what we're aspiring for. And with that in mind, we set appropriate language, literacy, numeracy, and learning goals. And once we set those goals, we start to gather together a plan of the activities and content that we will use to achieve those goals. And we scan our environments to think about what's the suitable teaching space, time, and resources that we'll need to go about our business. And then set an appropriate teaching and learning sequence. And then once we plan that global perspective, we conduct our individual lessons. And after each lesson, we reflect upon teaching practice. And we monitor progress regularly and adapt our teaching accordingly. And periodically, we go into deeper assessments to reflect upon a learner's development so that we can update their student profile. And with that updated student profile, set new goals in language, literacy, and learning. Now, this is a bit of a truism statement that in that context, a learner requires adequate time, space, and resources to practice, as well as instruction that is based on quality teaching and supportive relationships. This instruction must be based on a clear understanding of the learner's needs and interests at that given moment or stage. Now, if we look at literacy and language instruction in, I guess, layman's terms or in familiar's terms, and I'm a teacher or I'm a tutor or I'm a parent, I have this list of advice that's just regular, very common sense. First, we need to talk regularly with learners for their oral language development, for shaping their discourse, and for fostering verbal reasoning. We want to have not only talk, but have conversations, ask questions, receive questions, validate statements from a learner, and expand on them, critique them, explore and pursue them further. In addition to talking regularly, we want to read to learners, read with learners, and help readers read on their own. In that same breath, we want to write for learners. Perhaps they have a great story to tell and they can dictate, and we can write this great story on the page for them. And that becomes the inspiration to later write with the learner jointly as we move towards helping a learner write on their own. And we also want to help learners develop skills, whether it's phonological awareness skills or decoding or spelling skills or vocabulary skills, grammar skills, fluency. We want them to become more skilled, more practiced, more fluent. We also want them to build knowledge as well as ways 
of building knowledge. And ultimately, we want to help learners be active in the ways that they learn language and use literacy as tools for understanding and action. So to talk, to read, to write, to develop skills, to build knowledge, and to encourage understanding and action. And we must appreciate that in every endeavor, a student is a novice who is continually attempting to make sense of new situations and who must acquire the skills necessary to function in those situations. And the teacher's role, the tutor's role, is to help the student by arranging tasks and activities in such a way that they become more easily accessible. And now I bring in maybe a bit of an abstract concept, and this is an image of Ludwig Wittgenstein. And anybody who knows the literacy bug knows that there's a bit of a fascination or a preference to this philosopher. But if we go back to the previous slide about initiating novices into new situations and the skills to function in those situations, it makes sense in what Ludwig Wittgenstein talked about in relation to learning. That when we learn anything new, we enter into the situation being somewhat aspect blind. We don't know the rules or the structures or the patterns in what we're learning. We might be aware of what we're learning. We might be aware of films, but not necessarily the, the procedure or process of making a film. We might be aware of a language, but not necessarily know much about the language or how that language is structured and put together. We're aspect blind. Now, a teacher is there, or a tutor, to help us start to notice the patterns, notice the rules, notice the ways of going about our business. Until eventually we start to see the aspects regularly. We start to notice those patterns in our everyday life. Because we need to start to notice those patterns if we're at all going to operate fluently. Whether it's in mathematics, or in reading, or in social engagement, or navigating a school timetable. And so then we start to see as... We start to become fluent until we reach a stage in which we continuously see as or it becomes normative or natural, and we use that as a foundation for other learning. That's very clear in something like reading and language, mathematics, that what was previously struggled to attain becomes the foundation for later learning. And it's important for that fluency to read deeper, to calculate more complexly. Because if we always went back to first stages, first principles, we'd never make any progress at all. And so we need to provide students with the supports to achieve. And in that way, we use the word scaffolds. We provide the supports or scaffolds or sequences that expose the hidden rules and build bridges in learning. And those bridges help ensure that students can succeed. And that's sort of reflected on in this diagram. If we look at something like a conventional classroom, and let me sort of think about this as a competitive environment, those rules are not made clear. Perhaps 
a teacher walks in and says, we're focusing on short story writing, and everyone has to write a short story and present it to me, and I'll assess you on how you perform. And of course, those who are already skilled perform near the top end. They know the hidden curriculum. They know the hidden culture of that task, and they're pre-prepared to achieve. Now, there's another set who generally understands the task, and they sort of bulk near the middle. But there's some who don't have enough knowledge or rules or, or practice to have a go. And so they're a falter may be due to no fault of their own, but due to an unfamiliarity with the task itself. And so mastery is learning is when we actually make explicit the criteria of success. And we lay out the learning activities so that a learner becomes more and more skilled and more and more competent in the task itself. And the teacher becomes more explicit in what the goals of learning are. And by being more explicit and more supportive and more structured and sequencing towards mastery, a greater portion of the learners are able to achieve. Now even beyond that is one-on-one mentoring, in which a mentor can not only make the rules and the procedures explicit, but they can negotiate Meaning, they can jointly construct, they can provide really valuable in-time feedback to clarify just what that learner needs at a given time. And so it goes beyond providing the rules, but providing the step-by-step support on how those rules apply in practice. And when a learner is a bit confused, that tutor or mentor is right there to provide correct correction or correct advice. And so that relates to these four notions of literacy. On one hand, literacy is seen as performance and competition. So laying out different writing and communication tasks or reading tasks, and the individuals have to perform up to standard. That's like the conventional classroom. But also people see that literacy is a set of knowledge and skills and practices that you become masters of. And there's a sequence to that. And the better we are able to move learners through that sequence, the more skilled they become to challenge themselves and to meet the challenges of later learning. And that's the mastery curve. But we also see literacy as negotiated construction of meaning. We write to one another. We read to one another. We ask questions. We form ideas, and then we correct and clarify those ideas as we learn more. And there's something quite social in that back-and-forth construction of meaning. A clear picture I have is of a young person sharing a short story with a mentor who's sitting together side-by-side on the couch. The young person reading the story out loud, and the mentor nodding and smiling, and saying what they really liked about the story and what could be improved, what they'd like to have expanded upon. And there's a space of a negotiated construction of meaning. And that's that one-on-one mentoring. And last, there's literacy as doing school, and that's something that I hope we avoid in all cases. 
and that's worksheets and things that keep individuals busy, but they don't actually become part of any consolidated practice for literacy. And so in many ways I see learning not as a funnel in which we put lots of grammar rules and spelling rules and we hope children just remember, but more like a spiral of repeated practices and growing practices in in which the demands increase as learners become more and more skilled. And so they not only become more skilled, but they learn the fundamental ways of learning. The routines, how to become an organized and critical learner through practice and to become practiced. And so when we care about students' rights, that means caring about the trajectories of the learners as they develop within school, within content areas, within um, areas of learning, with things that they're motivated by. And that occurs as part of communities of practice in which they're engaged in mind and body and culture and psychological motivation and and in, in true self. And so they're not just a repository of skills, facts, and information, but they're genuine human beings who we want to get to know and who we want to extend in what their curiosities lead them to explore. And we can enhance the outcome when we work within what we call ZPD. So what is ZPD? ZPD is a term that we call zone of proximal development. And it sits beyond what a learner can already engage with independently, what they have become skilled with and what they've already mastered. But it's not teaching in which the skills are beyond the learner's current capacity. So it's within what is challenging but achievable with support. So we call it high challenge, high support, in which these new skills that the learner is developing, that we can model those skills for the learner, we can collaborate together so I can illustrate the way that we think and process new skills and information. I can then reduce my control by scaffolding the learner's engagement and then providing opportunities for the learner to apply that new skill. Or in other words, I provide controlled modeled support and release my control for guided support, which is there to encourage independent practice. And I always think it's sometimes useful to think about maths when looking at this cycle, modeling a new maths skill or concept, doing something together, providing an increasing level of complexity of practice and then once an individual has consolidated or um, mastered that new area of knowledge having them apply it practically to new situations short stories modeling a short story collaborating on a short story together providing secret scaffolding so they can go through the whole process of drafting revising critiquing extending a short story, and then seeing how they come to apply that skill on their own independently. Because we need to know where the learner is on in her his or her journey so that we can pitch the learning and the activities 
so that they're both challenging but also achievable. And I put it on train tracks because that zone continues to move as the learner develops. So let me provide an example. Here's a book by um, a recent New South Wales Australian of the Year, Songs of a War Boy. Deng is a lawyer in Western Sydney, but he was also a child soldier in Sudan. And he talks about when he arrived in Australia, he was thrown into an environment in which the learning was outside of his zone of proximal development. It wasn't achievable. And that can be quite debilitating and frustrating. As he wrote, just a few days later, I was enrolled to be a student at a high school. I turned up that freezing morning at the school confused, and I suffered silently through literature, mathematics, and human biology classes keeping in mind that Deng did not have a lot of English language skills, and he had never been to a modern school. I spoke to no students. I understood nothing that the teachers said, and I yearned for the day to end. I was 15 then, and that was the first day of traditional schooling I had ever done. It's not what I expected. So when I got home, I told my brother I could not do another day like that. I still needed to build the foundation. I needed to learn English. I couldn't go back. And so a few idle weeks passed, but later I started at TAFE, or community college. That first day at TAFE was really my first day as a student. Most of the people at the course were lacking in English as I was. And so I finally found a place in Australia that didn't confuse me, a place where I fitted in and we were all learning together what we needed to learn at that moment and stage. And so as I managed to get my penciled hand around my first English letters and my mouth around some single-syllable words, I started to feel a, a sense of achievement because the instruction was within my zone or Deng's zone of proximal development. And with success, success builds on success. And because the students gain confidence and they can see their skills growing, they are willing to work harder and can more readily learn. And in Deng's case, the first situation presented learning so far outside of his ZPD that he didn't know how to succeed and he didn't have the support to succeed. But in the TAFE environment or community college environment, he found a commonality with other learners and so he was able to get the support he needed to start making progress, to reach new heights. And we know that this can reap great rewards because Deng is now a courtroom lawyer, highly respected in the community, who at the time that he was at TAFE probably did not know how hard it would be to reach his pinnacle. But at the same time, others around him might have written him off without knowing of the talents and the opportunities that lie ahead. So I won't go through these here at the moment, but in the slides, I present different scenarios that you can in your own think, okay, so I've got a learner and they've got a task and I've got some notes about that learner. How would I go about supporting that learner with that 
in this case, written task, whether it's a short story or newspaper article or review of the film, how would I make the structure of that text explicit? How would I initiate learner the types of questions you ask in that style of writing? How do I unpack something that the learner might see as a whole? They might see newspaper articles, but they might not notice that there's a structure to newspaper articles. How do I initiate them into the patterns that they might otherwise take for granted? Or writing a film review. Again, a person might love films, but not necessarily know that there's a structure to the conversation or a structure to the way that you write a film review. And so I need to provide the scaffolding or the steps, as this ladder shows, to get the learner to that heights of achievement. And so scaffolding refers to supports that teachers provide to the learner during problem solving in the form of reminders and hints and encouragement to ensure successful completion of the task. An important feature of scaffolding, especially in authentic apprenticeship context, is to keep the task whole, the writing of a story, the development of a film, the exploration of a historical figure, or more basically, when a child is learning to sew or set the table, adults may step in and help with the trickiest or more difficult part, like threading the needle or taking the breakable glasses down from the top shelf. Now that happens initially, but as the learner becomes more and more skilled and mastered, you release that control and you give that responsibility over to the learner. But in the initial stages, you provide lots of scaffolding so the learner gets the experience of completing the task with support so that they can move towards completing it without support. So in this case, in classrooms, teachers help students with the research before sending them to the library. So when a student is stuck because she can't find information on a given topic, the teacher may suggest a new search term or help the student narrow the topic or provide some suggested questions to get the learner around a roadblock. And those are providing the learner with steps or rungs on the ladder towards success. And so gradually, as competence increases, the teacher cedes more control to the learner. And to be successful, the learner must also come to understand and take ownership of the goal. And so, importance is establishing joint attention, building shared learning intentions, and having a teaching cycle of modeling learning, providing guidance as learners take more responsibility on their own, pulling away more the teacher's influence and just facilitating the learning, and then facilitating the review or reflection on learning. What did you do? How did you go about it? What do you need to remember next time? And if the learner quite hasn't mastered it again, doing another cycle until you feel comfortable that learners got their handle on it, and then they can move on by providing further opportunities to apply or practice those skills and even more opportunities to apply those skills ultimately for consolidation. And this can be a math problem. This could be writing a newspaper article and then writing another newspaper article and then writing another newspaper article and then later down the track reading a newspaper article and asking them, what do you notice? What has the author done? 
What has the writer done as far as, and why have they chosen to structure their article in the way that they've done? And they're using their experience of the cycle and you're giving them opportunities to apply that previous knowledge in a more critical manner. So if we step to literacy briefly and we look at becoming practiced in literacy, what do learners become practiced in? Their letters, forming words from those letters, putting those words into sentences, forming those sentences into texts, whether they're poems or reports or descriptions or recipes or signs, and including in those texts other elements such as illustrations or tables and graphs, becoming more and more competent in all those areas of literacy. Or another way, developing their skills as decoders, then developing their skills as comprehenders, making sense or literal sense, being able to paraphrase and summarize what they read, but also being able to extract meaning and conclusions and commentary from a text. So not only understanding literally what it's saying, but being able to say, well, what does it mean? What can I conclude from it? What does it add to my knowledge? And how does my knowledge inform and enrich the text? And then once I've got a clear idea or mental model of what the text means, I can make an assessment of it. I can form judgments. I can react. I can respond. I can seek to clarify meaning. I can challenge the text when I think it's biased or incorrect. And each are things that we can scaffold, support, and each of these things become important at different stages of development. In early stages of development, there's a key focus on word reading and drawing literal comprehension of what one is reading. But that's not enough in the later primary years and early high school years where we want learners to draw conclusions, to make statements, to think deeply about what something means and what an author might be expressing in what they're exploring. And then in later years of high school, we want to not only explore those meanings, but to add different layers and complexities of critical analysis. And so on one hand, the left side, this red side, we want learners to develop language, how to pronounce words, how to develop vocabulary and grammatical skills, how to understand communication and context which all leads into language comprehension and expression. But at the same time, we want them to be able to spell and decode fluently. So they need to become phonologically and phonemically aware, understand letter and sound correspondences, develops rich word recognition and spelling skills, and that all becomes part of their print-based knowledge. And the more that they practice, they become more fluent, and with fluency, facilitates reading comprehension and clear writing composition. And we use reading and writing to develop knowledge. And each of these things we can scaffold for learners as they become more proficient across time. And that's captured in this diagram as well. Lower order skills of recognizing the alphabet, understanding letter and sound correspondence, becoming recognizing familiar words, and then putting those words into grammatical context 
in order to compose texts and to read with fluency and comprehension. But then it's not only significant to read for fluency and comprehension, we need to be able to paraphrase and summarize and visualize and represent and clarify our understanding. We need to be able to synthesize multiple pieces of information and use those to predict, to react, to respond and learn, as well as to critique, debate and discuss. And at different stages, we are scaffolding and supporting different skills depending upon that learner's stage of development. And so this is where a bit of a planning sheet comes into it. We have a student up here. We wonder, what have they accomplished? What are they currently developing? What are age or grade expectations? What's a bit of a goal or action plan that I want to set? Do I have any information, such as where they sit on the New South Wales Literacy Continuum, or on the ESL scales, or the EALD progression? Do I have any information as far as oral language score, scores, fluency records, writing, etc.? What, what information do I have about this learner? What can they do unassisted? What can they do with scaffolded assistance? What is out of reach at the time? And as a result, what's my big picture goal? And what elements do I want to focus on? And feel, feel free to download these slides and look at these, these templates in greater detail. Because this template also goes into the same concepts. What's the focus of my instruction? Is it vocabulary development? Is it the mechanics of writing? Is it focusing on the de demonstrated skills of an effective writer? The skills of an effective learner? Am I focusing upon spelling ability? What in that particular student or time am I focusing upon? And what do I see achievement as in a particular space of time? So like I mentioned beforehand, there are some case studies. And so I encourage you to look at the case studies, look at their reflections on their written skills, their reading skills, there's two sample students, and do a bit of a plan. What do you notice about that student? What are the goals for that student? What should my unit be focusing upon for either student one or student two? What content do I want to focus upon? What are my outcomes for that content? Do I just want them to remember that content, understand it, evaluate it, use that content in a creative way, etc.? And what are some core literacy outcomes? that need to be focused upon. And so then, what is my activity plan? My central activity might be an arts activity, and the content goal is to produce an amazing piece of art. The language goal is the student has to write a short paragraph explaining what's happening in that artwork, which will call upon their grammatical knowledge and their vocabulary knowledge, as well as their knowledge of an information text or an explanatory text. And what's the plan? And ultimately, what's that mode of assessment that's going to not only assess content knowledge, conceptual knowledge, but also learners' literacy and language skills? And so we also want to think about two things, and that's sort of reflected in that previous slide, is some skills that we're focusing on are intensive in nature. But then there's also elements that are extensive, 
the best way to describe that is extensive is looking at the outside world. What is the learner learning about the outside world? And what knowledge is being gained about the outside world through the acts of reading, writing, speaking, listening, viewing, and representing? Are they exploring something about dolphins? Are they exploring something about art? Are they exploring something about um, the Russian Revolution? What is it that is being explored through literacy and language activities? But at the same time, that needs to be balanced with activities that look inside language. Looking at vocabulary instruction, looking at spelling instruction, looking at grammatical instruction and fluency practice. How does one become more skilled at language and literacy itself as one is exploring different topics? And this lesson plan sort of reflects that. There's the upper elements that focus upon intensive skills, fluency practice, with word studies of a particular phonics pattern, but then choosing an age-appropriate text, in this case, text about dolphins, pre-teaching vocabulary, building background knowledge, asking questions, exploring a discussion points, afterwards summarizing main ideas and identifying essential details, and then consolidating that understanding with written comprehension practice, designing a poster about things that one discovered about dolphins. And so that is balancing intensive skills with extensive knowledge. And so there are various routines that are part of literacy pedagogy. However, those routines are become more or less relevant at different stages of development. In later stages or critical stages of development, we have something like being able to read a text and saying, well, what's the purpose of that text? What are the core questions being asked in that text? What's information, what are facts that we see in that text? And what interpretations or conclusions can we draw? What are the key concepts or themes? What are assumptions being made in that text? And what are the implications or consequences of those assumptions? And from what point of view is the text being read, written or read? And these cognitive strategies will let you read those on your own if you access the slides. Also, look at deep comprehension moves, planning and goal setting, monitoring comprehension, forming interpretations, revising meaning as one gains new knowledge. And those are more about deep reading skills. And so across one's learning, we want learners to build confidence and skills we want to grant opportunities for learners to read and write, speak and listen, and view and represent. We want them to expand and organize and apply and evaluate knowledge of themselves, of the world. And they want to become practiced. We want them to develop practices. They want to become learners. We want them to become scientists. We want them to become historians. We want them to become practiced. So if we look at it from a bird's eye view, there's different cycles of learning, whether it's stage zero up to six years old or in grade one, what a typical lesson might include, or in grades two and three when there's a focus on developing fluency, and in stage three from grades four to about eight in which there's this dramatic move away from fluency to learning, 
reading to learn, developing knowledge, having critical discussions, writing in conventional manners, until later years of high school where it becomes very clear that they're reading in disciplinary manners. And so one's reading and one's learning will develop across the lifespan. And so our notion of literacy also changes across that lifespan. And that also applies to those learning English as a second language. What we instruct in in the first six months will be very different from what we instruct in in the latter part of the first year of learning language, in the second year, and so on. And so our instruction needs to match developmentally where a learner is, is placed or located. So back to the general discussion. Here's another case study of a learner and a further case study that you can reflect upon and think about what is the best instruction for each of those learners. And asking yourselves questions like, okay, what, what must my teaching practice include or what should it include and why? Why did I come to that conclusion? And what are the elements and what are activities and what are my expectations? And what are my overarching teaching goals and objectives? And this is just a typical lesson plan. What's the objectives of my lesson? What are the key activities? What materials do I require? How do I break the lesson into parts? What are the outcomes of the lesson? What are comments that I should focus upon? Or what comments or observations do I make after the lesson? And what was the focus of the previous lesson? And what's going to be the focus of the next lesson? So good, solid planning. And looking at it across a number of weeks, what's the big picture goal? And I have 12 sessions. What happened or what should happen in those sessions, whether it's a planning sheet or a reflection sheet. And at the end, summarizing the achievements and next steps. And so we look at our learner, and we need to look at our learner from two directions. One, what's the curriculum outcomes? What are the goals of learning? What are the sub-goals? And how am I going to bring my learner through that process? Sometimes through explicit instruction. Sometimes modeling for my learner what they need to achieve. Sometimes jointly constructing it, collaboratively learning together. Other times, scaffolding tasks for the learner so that they can have practice to have a go on their own. And then to focus on building skills through repeated practice of increasing complexity and diversity and independence. So therefore, overall, gradually releasing the responsibility so the learner has opportunities to extend and then to reflect upon their learning. And so with those things, they move closer and closer to those curriculum outcomes. They start to manage their time. They start to work with scaffolds. They see models of success. There's a scope and sequence of their learning. There's opportunities to set goals, to do things jointly, to explore concepts, and more. As I said, applying that learning cycle, consolidating, and then perhaps moving on to the next skill. Even in, th in fact, if we're looking at this as essay writing, becoming a master of writing essay introductions. And then and when, once that's consolidated, moving on to body paragraphs until at the end of a number of cycles, 
the individual understands the various components of that way of communicating, introducing, arguing, and concluding. So last but not least, here's a number, a few other scenarios. How you can reflect delivering a speech. How would you help a student with his profile deliver a speech? Conducting an interview. How would you help a learner with his profile conduct a really effective interview? Researching a prominent Australian. Again, looking at a particular profile, what would you do to help that learner develop those skills become an effective researcher and thorough researcher? How would you scaffold so that what is implied in that task becomes more explicit? And ultimately, we want to reflect. I had a lesson. What's my name? Who are my students? When did it occur? How long was the lesson? If I have a 12-week or 12-session plan, which, which session in the cycle is it? What did we focus upon? I encourage you never to focus on more than three or four areas in a session. What were the goals of that session? What materials were required? What was the procedure of the session? And how do I, or how did I, know if the student left that session meeting the objectives? And then at the end, writing a post-session reflection. And periodically stopping and saying, well, in a particular amount of time, how did they grow as readers? What content did we read? How would I rate their learning? What notes? As writers, what did that content did they write? How would I rate their learning? And some notes. Topics, vocabulary, language and literacy features, other skills, and motivation. What was the content of their motivation? How motivated were they? And what should I reflect upon? So, we go back to the beginning. We develop a student profile. We set some goals. We put together some activities to work towards those goals. We look at what in our environment is going to help us teach. We set up appropriate teaching sequence. And then we go about teaching. Conducting lessons. Reflecting upon those lessons monitoring progress, and then periodically doing more formal assessments so that we can update that student's profile and therefore also update the learning goals and activities. So in conclusion, a learner requires instruction that is based on quality teaching with quality resources and quality spaces through quality relationships. And so such support must be based on a clear understanding of the learner's needs and interests at that moment or stage. And we must appreciate how the student is a novice who is continually attempting to make sense of new situations and who must acquire that, those skills necessary to function in those situations. So my role as a teacher is to help by arranging tasks and activities in such a way that those skills become more easily accessible. Now, everyone agrees that no matter what your philosophy is, learners have to practice, practice, practice. And as one of my tutors once said, it's not about teaching, it's about helping someone learn. And as one of my two T's said, those refugee action support tutors, they helped me. They said, keep on going, keep on going. And I soon realized I could carry on. They helped me all the time, progress with essays, with assignments, and also 
how to cope with multiple demands at one time, becoming practiced, becoming knowledgeable, but also becoming strategic. So, final questions. What are the goals of my teaching? Does my learner or learners share these goals? How do I go about providing the best support possible? What practices and scaffolding does the learner require? And what does success look like for me? And what does success look like for my learners? So, what were the objectives? I want to encourage informed, intentional, evidence-based teaching, which takes into consideration the learner's current skills, knowledge, and intentions. I want to emphasize the importance of gradual, progressive sequence practice that allows learners to become proficient, confident, and knowledgeable. And reinforce how instruction may need to be both intensive and extensive. And reinforce why it's always important to reflect regularly on teaching and learning activities, on progress, and on what new skills need to be areas of focus. So the slides are available for download for you to follow along or to review. Also to practice any of those scenarios or case studies that are listed throughout the presentation. And do not hesitate to connect with us. Visit theliteracybug.com. Send us an email at info at Subscribe to our YouTube channel as more and more presentations will be made available in the coming weeks, months, years. And we really encourage you to become a follower on Twitter. We always share interesting updates and resources. So thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the presentation. Add a comment, send us a like, whatever you uh, feel free to do.